0: I'm Kate Daniels. Let's be honest, so we can have a good conversation and get to some solutions. Each of us has health, and there are degrees of it, and when it's not good, we get help so we can get better. We all have mental health. Sometimes it gets challenged. What is the course of action for this? We don't want to talk about it. That's a bit counterproductive, isn't it? So this morning, we are going to talk about it. Chuck Petrikas, mental health counselor with PacMed, joins us once again, so let's do some learning. Chuck Petrikas, good morning. It's so great to have you join us once again.
1: Yeah, great to, quote, be here, Kate, and (laughs) uh, good morning to you, too.
0: Thank you. We have uh, done a series of these conversations, what I feel are so critically important because mental health and mental care is such a a really high-profile uh, situation, and I, I think, in our society right now on many different fronts. And so I'm very appreciative of your being available and willing to have these conversations. So let's delve a, kind of a little below the topic to get right at the outset a little bit about you and the work that you do so that we can have these conversations.
1: Yeah, sure. I'm a licensed mental health therapist. I work for specific medical centers. Um, I work in the Boston location, um, and we have several locations across uh, Puget Sound, all the way from here to Federal Way. And we're affiliated with Swedish and uh, Providence as well. We're all part of the same family. And so I primarily do uh, individual therapy with um, people coming in with um, all kinds of needs. I see all ages um, from all backgrounds. And it's kind of my job to be ready for whoever comes in the door. And you know with that, I get a lot of uh, different skill sets that I need to develop and topics that I need to be informed about. And um, yeah, so I, I love that. I love learning and and, and, and growing in my own practice uh, as I work with people.
0: And so when you say, Chuck, that you're associated with Swedish and with Providence, because of the mental health aspect of this do they refer people to you to get this specialized attention and work
1: primarily pacmed is its own um separate entity so we do our own referral system sometimes you know we will get referrals from them if they don't have availability but we also get a a, a big uh, referral system from the DOD the Department of Defense we work with a lot of vets, and um, we definitely have a good wait list going, so, which is to say there's a big need for mental health. Um, there's a big need for people uh, waiting to be seen, and there's sort of a shortage of mental health workers, therapists, social workers now, uh, which is different from when I moved here 15 years ago. It was sort of too many therapists and you know not enough people needing that kind of support. But you can see within a small amount of time, uh, whether it be society, politics, or the um, the population change in the Seattle area, things have really um, turned upside down.
0: And so you've given clarity on that because I wondered why would there be a change in a relatively short time, 15 years isn't that much time, when we are feeling that impact and you are addressing the fact that there is a lack of mental health counselors, and we might uh, just kind of put an asterisk there, and someone who's perhaps thinking of a career wants to do something that is really about helping people, this might be a thing to at least uh, an area to look at and consider.
1: Yeah, you definitely have job security. Um, (laughs) And I think part of it, too, is that I I think one of the the hopeful things is that our awareness of mental health needs um, and Public education has grown in the last decade to say this is important. This is important to be talking about in schools. This is important to be talking about TV. Um, so many, even the movie Joker was addressing that this year, so much of someone who's struggling with mental health, somebody who's isolated, and somebody who gets cut off from help and support from the system and sort of what happens when that person uh, isn't receiving treatment, sort of the cautionary tale of, What happens if we keep cutting dollars off, if we keep taking away benefits and making it harder for those who want to help to be able to help?
0: And so that's a very critical part of it. And alongside that is the education to take away the kind of stigma that used to and and I think still maybe attaches itself to mental health conditions that at various times any of us can be in a situation where we really Feel very vulnerable and weakened. And uh, for whatever comes along, we perhaps get the help or, you know, we get the attention and we move on. But for many people, that's not been the case. And and this education and this discussion, I feel, is so critical.
1: Yeah. And you're right. There's still a stigma about coming and and seeing somebody for this kind of help. Uh, There's this idea that I'm crazy or I'm weak or I shouldn't be able to do it by myself or. I should, I should, I should. And, um, you know, that still exists, and it's a barrier. And I really try to validate everybody who comes to my office and saying, just the fact that you've made it here today is a big deal. Uh, You've pushed past a lot of the um, barriers to um, just walking into a place and saying, I can't do it, I need help, let's talk.
0: Yes. Oh, that is so, so critically important, and hopefully we will reach many ears that uh, either this is for themselves or this is for someone that they know will see that this is available and reach out for that help. And really, let's mention actually the website where people can look for more information about PacMed.
1: Sure. Um, I'll give you the website and uh, phone number. Um, it's pacificmedicalcenters.org Pacific Medical Centers dot and our number for new patient information is 1-888-4-PAC-MED that's 1-888-4-P-A-C-M-E-D
0: great and we're going to have that on our website so people can really uh, readily access that so one of the big things that goes on right now in terms of being a mental health issue is the whole area of addictions and it's not just one kind of addiction. It's amazing how many there are and I think it it either has grown or we're just becoming more aware of it.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's probably both and I think the word addiction is also kind of fluid. Uh, a lot of people disagree about what that means, um, about what constitutes that. It can be certainly used and abused um, to pathologize people, to tell them that they're really um, struggling or they're really hooked on something they might not be. But I think in the area of narcotics, in the area of alcohol, that line is is much clearer to define uh, when it comes to people getting help and the effects it has on themselves and their family.
0: So at least we've gained that kind of awareness where we see that this is a mental health issue. It is a health issue and people are, are you finding that Chuck in your work that people are more receptive about accepting that?
1: Accepting the definition of accepting the help.
0: Actually accepting the definition first.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that, in itself can be the work. Somebody comes in and they say, hey, I'm struggling with anxiety and depression. And then I ask them, well, how many uh, drinks do you have a day? And they're like, well, you know, I have one in the morning, maybe one in the afternoon, maybe have like four at night. And then I kind of pause and then we go into that, you know, because it's really hard, A, to get get an honest answer sometimes and, and B, to work with somebody towards the fact that their usage of a certain substance can potentially be interfering and being a big source of the anxiety and the depression. Now, it's not like if you get rid of the alcohol, you cure everything, but this is a crucial factor in like what you said, getting healthy with your body and your mind. And those are not separate things. I think for a long time, the psychology world and the medical world weren't really talking as much about holistic health, certainly there is impact to your entire body when it comes to substances. So getting somebody, not so much to admit they're an addict, but to say, this is an important thing to look at. Let's be curious. Let's meet you where you're at. And let's talk more about this. When did this start? Uh, What does this mean for you? And what happens if you don't have it? And
0: we, at this point, let's just mention, in terms of the holistic approach, that PacMed Pacific Medical Centers uh, is so great because there is that your group and you really communicate with each other, and there was the referral. So there's that real great continuity of help to each individual.
1: Yeah, I, I love working with doctors. Um, I used to be just working exclusively only with therapists, and I always said. You know, where we need to be as therapists, as um, practitioners, we need to be in the hospitals, we need to be in the clinics uh, where people are coming in uh, for their medical issues, that they should be also treated and seen uh, for their psychological aspects, um, the way that chronic, uh, chronic uh, conditions, MS, uh, Parkinson's, lupus, how that actually affects, you know, your emotional state. So getting both of those um, those, those sort of spectrums um, addressed in the same building is uh, something I'm really enjoying and I feel much better about.
0: And I feel that the, you're probably seeing a lot more success, if you will, that people are really addressing the issues and finding that they are getting
1: healthier. Yeah, I think it's a tricky thing in my business because um, you don't always see how people do in the long run. Um, I get to see, you know, on my good days, people really make breakthroughs. People really find epiphanies about their life, their story, um, decide to make a change and stick with it. And it's the continuity of the changes that people make over time that I find to be the most beneficial for my work. And... Really, it's about sticking with the process, showing up, though you feel like nothing's changing, though you feel discouraged. Um, you know, what I talk about when I talk about addictions uh, comes from this idea about the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. Um, the opposite of addiction is connection. And this is a, kind of a, an idea that was uh, put forth at TED Talk years ago. But I really think it applies to my work and the work that other therapists do when we talk about how important it is to be meeting with somebody, to be connected, to be sharing your story, to be um, being vulnerable with another person. And it's not just about stopping the usage, stopping the drinking, stopping the drugs. It's it's about the connection you have with community with a family but just even with another person
0: that is such an incredible interesting view of of addiction is having the connection so does a person as they're dealing with uh, addressing the addiction and move, and hopefully healing that, if that's the right word, is it developing that connection w- with their family and with their community?
1: Well, it can be. And, and I think how this all started was there's a stigma when it comes to this idea of addiction or this uh, myth. To say that everybody who uses drugs and abuses drugs is having a good time. They're enjoying it. They're being rebellious. They're being bad. So for years, the scientific and the medical community believed the myth that uh, people with addictions just didn't care and they're just having a good time, they're partying all the time. Because the substances that they're using are a lot of times associated with recreational use. When we're talking about somebody who's really addicted to something, they're not having a good time. They're, in fact, very, very miserable. Uh, their body's falling apart. Their relationships have falling apart. Um, their housing, their, their jobs. Now, this has cost them everything. And you talk to most addicts, they don't want to be doing this. They're not having fun. And so a lot of this ideology came from the fact that they um, originally tested laboratory rats and put heroin with a rat by itself. And they saw what happened. They saw that the rat went to the heroin, got addicted, And just saw, like, wow, look at this rat. Rat can't control himself around the substance. This must be what people do, too. So that myth kind of got spread until somebody said, hey, wait a second. These rats are in isolation. They have nothing else to do. They're going to go to this heroin because there's just nothing else. So they made, like, sort of a rat community or a big rat family. They put the heroin back in those cages. We found that the rats didn't go to the drugs; they were more interested in being together and were getting those needs met, than they were about this addictive substance. So that's kind of where this idea of the opposite of uh, addiction is connection, not sobriety. We've got this idea: if we connect people back into society instead of just getting them sober, is a much more sustainable um, and healthy way to approach um, addiction and uh, wellness.
0: I'm trying to envision then how this actually works, how we have it working within the community. Because we know we have such um, a tough situation, a real tragic situation on our streets, very primarily in the Seattle area, that... I think we know that a lot of it is mental health issues. A lot of it is people who are dealing with addictions. How would we create that atmosphere of connection?
1: Well, it's it's really helpful because Seattle is one of the first cities to start instituting a program with the police officers. So Portugal in 2001 sort of decriminalized a lot of hard drugs, and money that they saved on incarceration they put towards social programs. So instead of putting somebody in jail for their usage, they would put them in a job that they would pay half the salary, so the employer wouldn't feel like you know they're getting somebody who's working at half the capacity. So the government was supplementing these people, reintegrating back into society as a diversion program. So diversion is like an alternative to being jailed. And so they saw over time this drastically reduced drug use, they saved money in the criminal system, employment went up, and they were spending so much time and energy in drug incarceration and enforcement that they didn't realize what could be done to incorporate these people back into sort of rehabilitation programs. So Seattle, about a year ago, maybe just a couple of years ago, started the program where law enforcement started doing this very thing. And so we are kind of pioneering um, this program for the country, and it's still in its infancy. It's not perfect. But to decriminalize a lot of the hard drug users and instead connect them with social workers, connect them with case managers and therapists, instead of putting them in jail, is already uh, showing a lot of benefit.
0: I had no idea that this was really happening. I I yeah. see the streets, but I, but we don't know that this is around us. So it's this is really invaluable to make us aware. And how can we support this and encourage this, Chuck? Or do we need to say anything to anyone? It's what is it?
1: I, I think you know it's such a um, difficult web to untangle when somebody that we know is addicted to something because a lot of times that first approach is that sort of criminalization narrative of, hey, you know, you got to cut this out, but we're not going to talk to you again. And if you don't clean up, you can't see my family, can't see my kids. There's a lot of punitive sort of negative approaches that a lot of people use thinking that if we punish somebody who's in addiction, they're going to clean up their act, they're going to get it together, and they're going to get better. But where, in fact, it just isolates them further, they're farther from people, the drug use goes up, uh, their depression goes up, all that stuff. So I would say for anyone listening who knows somebody or who is in this place, you know, meet that person where they're at. And I think that's, that's what we call the harm reduction model. It's very social justice conscious to say we want to open up the doors to access uh, people who are in need, and not judge them, not say uh, this is a this is a morality issue, uh, this is a criminal issue, this is a mental health, this is a trauma, this is a whatever issue. This isn't people being bad as much as it is people who are suffering and they need help, and they need you, and they need you to uh, connect them with resources. But even if they won't come into therapy or group work, um, sit with them. Hear their story, remain open and objective, and try to listen to how they actually feel um, versus kind of treating them like a pariah, pushing them to the edges of, of our world. Because once again, bringing them back in the soul is, is the most curative method um, when we talk about this sort of thing.
0: And I think, if I reflect back to, it's been months and months ago when we first had spoken, and you said something pretty much along the same lines And in, in terms of seeing a person on the street who, it isn't necessarily about addiction, but they're homeless, being able to look them in the eye and treat them as though they are just, like us, another human being.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think... Understanding is the beginning of empathy, and uh, just to know that, you know, in my line of work, anybody comes in the door, I assume they're doing the best they can. I assume that there's a good heart in there that's gotten buried over with years of fear, of sadness, and maybe it's turned into defensiveness. Maybe it's turned into anger. Maybe it's turned into addiction. All of the above, and. For all of us to kind of adopt that attitude, it's not going to hurt. It doesn't cost you anything. You know, I don't, I think the easy, fast approach is to cast someone off, to say, I'm blind to you, or I put a label on you, I put a box on you, then I can manage you, I can walk away with you. It's not my problem anymore. But if we're talking about compassion, these are the people in our family, these are the people in our midst, and um, they, need, they need you, they need um, you listening to them more than you need. Uh, They need, you know, judgment or, um, you know, should.
0: Right. Exactly. And I guess part of that is realizing that this addiction could happen to any one of us. Is that right? Or is there someone who, is there a certain personality that's perhaps more vulnerable?
1: And there's certainly a lot of research around genetic predisposition to alcoholism or other, other you know, hard drugs that are used. But really, if you go in for surgery and they give you opioids, they give you benzos, they give you something for relaxation, they give you something for pain, the pharmaceutical industry is not really interested in health and wellness as it is you know, selling drugs. So that's the challenge here, too, is that we have to fight against being pushed in our doctor's offices sometimes, these substances, and they have their place, they have their use, but really any one of us um, can find ourselves like casually addicted to Xanax, casually addicted to Ativan because we can't sleep, because we feel stressed, because we're depressed, and there's a lot of sort of gaps in our society that drugs is sort of artificially filling in for and I think that's a dangerous place to be because it's saying well I don't have time for this, I don't have time for that, I need something right now, I need something in a pill uh, that can I, I can just push a button and not think anymore not feel anymore mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of people who are like casually addicted to uh, benzos which are the, uh, the, the relaxers the, the um, sedatives and that can put somebody in a place of uh, higher anxiety over time. And I think once again, if you know somebody who's in that, you know, try to connect with them. Try to get them out.
0: So, uh, using that one, the benzos, those aren't necessarily illegal. That's an across-the-counter t- uh, kind of medication you can buy. Is that right?
1: Yeah, it's considered uh, Schedule Two drugs they're illegal, with, and used within moderation, they're fine. But that's not the way it's being practiced a lot of times. We're getting refills over and over again. I mean, slowly the, the medical community is, is catching up to this and, and realizing that it is a problem. Um, and the fact is we don't know the long-term uh, health risks associated with uh, benzo use. And, you know, I have a few different people in the office, a lot of times people who are so scared of getting on drugs and people who are seeking drugs. And so there's a kind of a wide rift there. Um, and I would say for the average person, an antidepressant is not going to be addictive. It's not going to be a problem here. Um, we kind of hear the word drug and our, our feeders go up. But there's certainly a lot of therapeutic drugs out there that are, are creating life changes for people. Um, they're getting them out of bed in the morning. They're able to, Uh, move through their trauma they're able to uh, just access feeling good again uh, where they haven't been able to do that which leads to other life changes, you know so it's not like a drug dependency the rest of their life it's sort of churning down the static in order for them to be able to do things they haven't done in a long time so certainly in this conversation there's a place for prescriptive therapeutic use and I think that line can get blurry sometimes
0: right just as we talked about alcohol, uh, if someone is taking that drink in the in the morning, at lunchtime, a few in the evening, then we're getting into some difficulty. If you have a glass of wine uh, now and then, uh, a drink now and then because you're with friends, we're probably talking about two very different kinds of situations.
1: Yeah, and I think the reason alcohol kills more people than any of these other drugs is because it's it's accessible. It's socially acceptable. um, And it's hard to know when we've had too much. I mean, we use it everywhere. That's, that's the difference between sort of alcohol and all these other drugs we're talking about. There's, there's a stigma with those other drugs and it just isn't with alcohol. There's almost a celebration. There's almost a, uh, a way in which you're encouraged to drink when you go places, which, which is all fine and good. But, you know, for a long time, we've been battling uh, that that addiction and that health risk. And, you know, that's a trickier one than the other ones I'm discussing. Is certainly probably the most prevalent.
0: Right. And in the place of not being able to get some of the others, when we think of someone who's really having a challenging time, they, they might resort to the alcohol because it is a legal substance that they can get, and uh, that certainly can be that downward spiral.
1: Yeah, and I, I would say also for people who are listening, there's sort of this idea of if you're struggling with alcohol abuse, that the only alternative to that is uh, AA. And I think that has also evolved over time, that there are places and groups now, even in Seattle, that offer an alternative to AA, where AA has certainly been helpful, or, or NA, which is Narcotics Anonymous, but these 12-step groups aren't for everyone because they use labels and they big groups, and there's a lot of, like, baby stories. And so someone in denial may not feel like they fit into it and may not go and may feel threatened by the the social anxiety piece of it. So, I mean, there's, for example, there's a place in Seattle called A Positive Alternative, and it's an outpatient group that specializes in wellness, um, mindfulness, and sort of caters addiction treatment to the person individually versus read the big book, follow the steps, just do it. So I just want to encourage people there's not just one way to get sober to fight addiction anymore. I just encourage people to go online and start looking for alternatives to um, AA if it hasn't worked for you.
0: This has been such a valuable conversation, Chuck, for so many reasons to make us just really think about it, to begin to think perhaps in a different way, look for solutions, be aware that there are solutions and certainly one great place to look and maybe explore is to take a look at Pacific Medical centers and that's just uh, exactly the term for the website right yeah
1: pacificmedicalcenters.org
0: Great. Well, once again, this has been such a stimulating time, Chuck, to have us look at all the different kinds of things that are going on around us in our own lives, with the lives of people that we might know intimately or in passing, and just know that there is help around. And I think that you have uh, certainly underscored that for us. So I greatly appreciate you and your time.
1: Thank you, Kate. I'm happy to come and spread the word. You know, we can't hear it enough, I think. And I think there's good things happening. um, And good people out there waiting to help, uh, waiting to jump in and and listen to your stories.
0: Great. A wonderful note to end on. Thank you, Chuck.
1: All right. Thank you,
0: Kay.